my goodness, so many beautiful faces. Great to see you. I'm so thankful that you're here on this Valentine's. Praise the Lord. Hey, did you know that Jesus said that there is rejoicing in heaven when one person turns their hearts toward him? I mean, isn't that incredible? But I have a question for you. Okay, if, if heaven rejoices when, when someone gets their life right with God, do you think that anyone else notices? Because I believe that hell notices too. And you know what hell does when someone starts to get their life right? It throws a tantrum. Hell hates it when we start to get our lives put back in the right direction. Hell just hates it. Like when someone like says, you know what, I'm just going to get honest with myself and with others and like really just kind of open up and be authentic about the real issues that I'm dealing with. Maybe they even go so far as to say, you know what, I've got sin in my heart that I've got to confess. I've got to get rid of this junk that has been inside of me. Maybe somebody says, you know what, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Or I'm going to commit to becoming part of like a discipling group or, or something like that. Or any forward progress in our life. Heaven rejoices, but hell throws a tantrum. Just throws a fit. It's like, no! You know, they're finally starting to move in the right direction. Well, listen, we've been tracing the story of a man in the Bible named Nehemiah over the past weeks. And we discovered that like Nehemiah, Nehemiah had found that the walls around his ancestral home city of Jerusalem were lying on the ground in ruins. So enemies could just come in at will. And so what Nehemiah does, of course, is that he gets this vision from God about actually returning to his homeland of Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls. But last week we talked about the fact that he, after he'd inspected the walls, he went and actually shared this vision with the whole community and everybody was like, yes. And so they began starting the rebuilding process. Well, guess what happened? Hell threw a tantrum that things were headed in the right direction and all of a sudden, immediately, the enemy voices came against them. So we're picking up in Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, 1 through 3. Follow along with me. It says this. Here, here's those enemies again. Sambalat and Tobiah, these evil guys, right? Boo and hiss, right, when you hear their names. Sanballat, boo, was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian um, army officers, what is this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah, 
Boo. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked on top of it. So I want to take a closer look for a moment at what was actually communicated by Israel's enemies, Nehemiah's enemies. Because I believe that the very same things that the enemy was proclaiming to them are the same things we hear from hell when we begin a rebuilding process in our lives as well. Number one, the enemy says this, you're too weak, right? He says, you poor and feeble Jews, right? It's like, you don't have what it takes. You're just like, you're too weak. You're too weak to get after the things that you would actually need to address in your life. Secondly, the enemy says, it will never get done. I mean, what, what the enemy actually said there was like, you think you can do this in one day, right? Like, in other words, you don't even realize that in a lifetime, you would never be able to put back together those things that have been destroyed in your life. So just give up now because it's never going to get done. Third thing the enemy says here is you don't have what it takes. I mean, do you remember he said, do you think you're going to be able to like build these walls again out of this rubbish heap of charred stones? And you know what? The enemy says that to us as well. You do not have what it takes to rebuild your life. You don't have it. Now listen, of course, maybe if you had better parents, right? Maybe if you had better parents, you'd have, you know, like then, then you'd have what it takes. Or, you know, maybe if you just weren't so dumb. Maybe if you were just a little better looking. Maybe if, and it's like what, you know, and just like dot, dot, dot. Because you do not have what it takes. Maybe if you hadn't made that one decision when you turned left, when you should have turned right. But no matter what it is, hell always says, you just don't have what it takes. You don't have what's needed to actually rebuild. And then the last thing is, it's all going to fall apart, right? Even if a fox jumped up on top of your wall, it's going to collapse. It's like, it's all going to fall apart anyway because you know you. You've tried to rebuild before, and guess what? It all came to ruin. You tried to get out of that addiction before, and guess what? You fell right back into it. You tried, right, to start reading your Bible or start uh, coming to a place of forgiveness for the pain that's in your, in your heart, in your life. You tried before, and it hasn't worked before. It's all going to fall apart again, so why even try? I mean, the very same things that Sanballat and Tobiah were speaking over Nehemiah and the people are the very same kind of things that we hear from the voice of hell. Because hell hates it when we start moving in the right direction. Whenever you hear these kind of voices, whenever you hear these kind of negative things intended to steal your hope and cause you to give up, 
you can absolutely know right where those things came from because they came from hell itself. Did you know that in Revelation 12.10, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. The devil is the accuser. It says that he is before God night and day accusing you. He is the accuser. He himself. He takes our every sin and weakness and comes up with a plan to like highlight it. To rub our nose in it. And to lie to us that we are never going to be able to move beyond those things. Hell's goal is always to forever link us to our sin and weakness so that we would be defined by our worst moment. Do you ever feel like your life is defined by its worst moments? Guess what? When you feel that way, I'm telling you, it's because there really is a hell and there really is a Satan who really wants to lie to you about who you are. But guess what? Our lives are not defined by hell. Our lives are not defined by what Satan says. They're defined by what God has done and what he says about us. And here's what we know that God has done. And so this is what he declares over us, that we are made righteous in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have been made righteous. That's what he says. We're not perfect, we're righteous. We have sinned, but we're made right with God through Christ. He says that we are empowered because he has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. So not only have we been made righteous, we have been made empowered to walk this life out. And we are people of kingdom authority because we have been adopted into God's family. We have been given his name. So we don't just walk in our name, well, I'm Tim, right? Who are you? No, I walk in kingdom authority because actually I have been adopted into God's family and I walk in the power of my father. The devil is a liar. You are not defined by your worst and your weakest moments. You are defined by what God has done and who he says you are. And I love what comes next because it's Nehemiah's response to all that garbage that he just heard, all that negativity that was designed to steal hope and cause people to want to give up. Here's what Nehemiah says in the very next verses, verses four and five, chapter four. He says this, he says, then I prayed. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land, just the way we had been. Do not ignore their guilt. I love what he does because he didn't retaliate. He did not react to their negative words. What he did instead is he responded in faith. He responded by turning to God himself and saying, I can't even deal with this. Dad, you take over and you do what you do best. 
right? Which is bring justice to these people who are speaking so negatively towards your work. He didn't react. He responded by giving things over to his father. But listen, but the enemies, it says in the story, didn't give up. It says not only did they use these words, but it says that they actually came to plan a fight, to try to bring the fight right to the walls that were being built back up. And so we read on in verses 7 and 8. It says, but when Samballat and Tobiah, boo, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, right? So actually the progress has been begun. They're moving in the right direction. It says this, it says, they were furious. They made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Listen, hell ain't gonna give up, right? Hell is not gonna give up just because you have chosen, like, man, I'm going to rebuild my, my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move towards strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just figure out these areas of my life that have been cracked and, and are tumbled over and are just not healthy the way they should be. I have lost my strength. I'm going to rebuild. Hell is not going to give up trying to tear those walls apart. But, man, I love here. This is like one of the most amazing verses the most amazing verses in all of Nehemiah comes in what Nehemiah does next. It's the very next verse, verse nine. Hearing the plans of the enemy, this is what Nehemiah says. says. Nehemiah 4, 9, but we prayed to our God and, say and, guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. I love this. It says, we prayed and we guarded. We prayed and we guarded. Too often, I think we can fall into the trap of thinking that it's one or the other. Right? We think it's either all spiritual, so we pray, or it's all practical or natural, and so we just do all those natural, practical things to figure out what's going on and to fix the situation, right? So we don't even like do anything spiritual. We just do all the practical stuff. I'd someone get sick. Brother, I'm not sick. I don't claim it. Oh, okay. Well, you look sick. I, I hear you coughing and sneezing, and I don't know what that's coming out of your nose, but it don't look good. Like, do you need to take me? You know, do, do, I, do I need to, like, take you to the doctor? No. You know, I've already prayed about it. This, these symptoms are not real. They're just the lies of the enemy. And so I've already prayed about it. It's already settled. I'm not sick. Okay. Right? So all spiritual. On the other hand, you know, you come across someone who's sick and is like, I'm so sick. I'm so sick. I don't know if I'll ever get better. You know, so man, I went to the pharmacy and I got zinc. I got emergency. I got NyQuil. I got 12 types of nasal sprays. 
I made an appointment with a doctor and another appointment with a specialist. And, and I'm going home right now to sit on the couch with a big bowl of chicken noodle soup. Well, okay. Hey, can, can I pray with you about that? No, it's okay. You know, I just need some rest and medicine. I'll be okay. Right? I mean, like, where people think, like, it's all spiritual or it's all practical. And I don't believe that is the way that God has created us to live in this world of his. We are spiritual beings, but we have been called to live out our days in a very natural world. So, guess what? We can pray and go to the doctor. Imagine that. Or if it's our emotions that are suffering, we can get wisdom from God's word and God's people, and we can also go and talk to a counselor. We can do both things. It's not either or. It is both and. We prayed and we guarded the city day and night. We are people of faith who are still called to function in the natural world. Doing natural things is not unspiritual. And doing spiritual things is not unnatural. Guess what? When we do both, spiritual and natural, you know what we become? We become God's supernatural people. You become supernatural. People who operate by faith in the living God who has power over all things, but who operate naturally in this world, not some freaky spiritual being who doesn't have their feet like grounded right here on the soil of this earth. We are spiritual beings and we are natural beings until we get to heaven. And so we get to operate supernaturally. We pray and we guard against the enemy's attack, doing every natural thing in our power to ensure that the enemy does not come in. Isn't that good? Come on, somebody. Isn't that good? So good. Now, listen, we've been talking about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls, and we've seen that as a parallel to us rebuilding the walls that provide strength and security and safety around our lives. One of the walls that comes under attack is the wall of our emotions. Now, if you were to go back and to, to reread what we've been reading out and keep reading in chapter four, you would find that the enemy's goal was to do two things to the people of God here, to bring confusion and to bring fear. Fear and confusion. I believe both of those things are kind of like hell's psychological warfare against you and me and our emotional health and strength. Fear and confusion. It's not only what they were facing there, it's what we face and what we have faced a lot of over the past year. So no doubt we need to do some rebuilding in our walls and in this wall of emotion. So 
So I have a friend, her name is Angie Ritchie, who I'm going to introduce you to in just a moment because she actually has some expertise in this area of helping people rebuild their lives, especially when it comes to the wall of emotions. And so this week I called Angie and we actually recorded a Zoom call. And so for the next minutes, would you join me in learning from Angie Ritchie as she helps to walk us through some things about how to rebuild the emotional wall of our life. Let's dim the lights. Let's go to Zoom. Well, hey, I'm here today with uh, my longtime friend, Angie Ritchie. And uh, Angie, I think when we first met, you weren't the president of anything. And, uh, And now, like, they've put you in charge of a whole lot because you are actually the president of my alma mater, uh, Life Pacific University, which is just remarkable. And uh, can you just talk with us for just a, a few minutes of introduction? Like, what is Life Pacific University? And, and, and that's really a four-score thing, right? It absolutely is, Tim. It's so good to be with you and to your incredible community. You're an amazing pastor. I've known you for so many years and so grateful for your ministry. But Life Pacific is the Foursquare Original Bible College founded in 1923. I mean, we are going on 100 years almost a centennial in uh, 2023, but uh, it it started as an institute. It's now a four-year regionally accredited university offering degrees in ministry, biblical studies, as well as marketplace degrees like psychology, business, worship, ministry, communications. And, And what I love is that we've not left our mission. Our mission is this, the transformational development of students into leaders prepared to serve God in the church, the workplace, in the world. We're still graduating pastors and missionaries. It just looks different in our world, right? So we have missionaries Absolutely. in the Yeah, and, I, and I'm one of those guys, you know. Yeah. Um, I was not at the school in 1923, uh, but shortly thereafter. Just kidding. Absolutely. You know what's so cool is, you know, I came in 97, and, you know, all of us have this really strong Bible theology education. And, and what's so cool is no, no matter what degree students go into, they still get a Bible minor. We also have master's degrees and degree completion, which they didn't have when we were there. So, right. and we have a whole continuing to innovate and make your uh, offerings just available to more and more people, which I'm I'm really thankful for. Absolutely, yes, LP, LPU online can you can get anywhere with LPU online, so you don't even have to come to San Dimas. You can be in Santa right. Maria. And people can find out more at lpu.edu. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. If you feel a call to ministry or if you just have a few units and you're trying to figure out what to do, what I will say, we are committed to Christ-centered education, holistic development, and graduate employment. So we would love to have your community a part of LPU. Yeah. Well, hey, we're, we're joining in today to, to have a conversation about emotional health and strength during some really challenging days that we've all lived through this past year. And uh, but you are so you're not just an educator. Uh, I happen to know that about you. It's why I reached out to you um, before you were the president of Life Pacific University. Can you just share a little bit of your background about you know wh- why might you know just a little bit about emotional health and and frailty? Thank you, Tim. Yes, you know I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I had no idea how much that degree, my experience, my private practice would help me as a university president in these days. Uh, Because not only are we navigating, you know, higher ed and and trying to educate our students, but they are dealing with significant mental health issues in light of COVID-19 
Uh, we had the problems before that, but now uh, maneuvering through this unknown, this unknown territory, you as well, um, my mental health hat has played um, a huge part in the way I lead. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're, you are uniquely seed, uh, suited for your role, but also for this season in which you're leading. And so, you know, I, I basically just want to ask you two questions. Um, and just as like if you were standing right now up in front of our congregation, we were just on the stage chatting, uh, you know, so what have you seen, especially over this past year, when it comes to people's emotional well-being? Uh, man, we've just had such an onslaught of attacks, it feels like, in so many different um, areas of life. But man, that really, I know, uh, can wreak some havoc in our emotions. So what what have you been seeing um, in your practice and, and with your in your relationships? What have you been seeing in, with uh, people's health? Well, let, let's just, um, we, we go back to March of 2020 when we all heard about this was coming, the pandemic, and most of us were in a denial. This is not real. What's going to happen? I could never have imagined that last March when I sent students home, because we had to, that a year later they would still be home. So right away, everyone began to go through the process of grief, denial, anger, all of these things. And then a year later, we have had an increase of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, suicide uh, among uh, the younger generation. We're talking elementary, junior high, high school. Uh, we have marriages after quarantine when we we heard that you know finally Italy was out of quarantine for a while then we had uh, I think it was chi uh, China as we began to see the data marriage more increase of divorces 34% uh, increase in divorces we're having it here in the US as well um, and this is all result wow. of COVID loss grief and loss loss of jobs loss of peers proms games, friends, um, the isolation is incredible. And I will tell you, Tim, if we want to get to the, the main thing, the APA just came out and said the highest risk of mental health is loneliness and isolation. So let me just tell you. And then we're, we're in the perfect storm for that, aren't we? We are. Business is good for therapists, and there aren't enough mental health professionals to, to meet the need, and that's why we got to figure this out. The church needs to rise up and come together, and Jesus has, some, Jesus has some answers for us. Absolutely. So anxiety and depression, you mentioned both of those, and I know from some conversations that we've had over the years, I think you helped me to really understand that um, anxiety is more like looking at through the front uh, windshield of like what's coming in front of us, like the unknown, you know, what's around the next corner. And I think you, you also said that depression is more like looking in the rearview mirror, like dealing with the loss of things that, that are in our past. Is that correct? Is that? That is absolutely correct. And oftentimes we find that if we're dealing with one, we're dealing with another. So you will have people, you know, right here in our community today, you will, they'll be like, yeah, I feel depressed and I'm also anxious. Okay. So they, they really can go uh, in tandem because guess what? When we're driving, uh, we do look out the uh, front windshield most of the time, but we're also supposed to pay attention to uh, the rearview mirror. So, so both are kind of in front of us all the time. So it kind of makes sense that we might be dealing with some of the, uh, both of those realities simultaneously. And I think it's really, you mentioned that that's so important to identify what am I thinking about? Because when we're feeling anxious, 
we will, if we take the time to say, what am I anxious about? We will, we will know that, okay, I'm thinking about something that isn't even happened yet. And when we're depressed, we're ruminating on something, a loss, something that has happened, a memory, words, um, conflict that we ruminate on. So that actually is helpful to develop a tool to begin to release some of that pressure um, because tools help. Also, Tim, I, I want to just normalize something for your, your community is that anxiety is the number one mental health disorder in the United States and around the world, affecting 285 million people around the world, globally. Wow. I mean, it's, it's the number one, the and that's why. Yeah. yeah. However, I have good news. It's the most treatable. Okay. <laughs> that is that is good news. I, I know. I'm, I'm so, so the most common mental challenge is also the most treatable. So that's good. It, but the bad news is this. I have more bad news. Is okay. that okay. only 34 percent that are, are that feel anxious that uh, struggle with that uh, disorder? Only 34 percent seek treatment. Wow. So and what? So what are what are the other? What would that be? Sixty-four percent or whatever. What what are they doing? They're they're, they're suffering. Suffering. Um, and and they're 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 in our classrooms, in our congregations. They're in our they're around our dinner tables. And we have learned how to deal. We don't deal well, but we learn how to um, live with a level of suffering, um, which is not what Jesus promised us in John chapter ten, verse ten. He said, "I come. I came to give you the abundant life. The life." more and above what you could ever imagine but the enemy does come to steal kill and destroy and he's wreaking havoc on our world and in our families right now well maybe that would be a good way to uh, segue into the second thing i wanted to ask you and that is you know we we've as a church been talking about kind of how to rebuild the walls of our life you know they've taken so many hits you know the pandemic and all the other things we've experienced in you know over this last year have exposed cracks and holes in the walls of our life. And some of us even find them in ruins, right? So we've been talking about how to rebuild the walls. We're talking about, can we rebuild these emotional walls that are so important for us to have strength in who and what we are? You know, so, so many people, like you're saying, have not sought help um, for emotional needs maybe that would actually be something you would suggest as one of the ways. How do we rebuild? Uh, don't be one of those uh, 64% or whatever uh, that don't that don't seek help, right? What, exactly. What so I think there's a couple of things. I think there is a rebuilding, and what we would call that is resilience. Resilience is about bouncing back. I love how Dennis Easter, he, he likes the term bouncing forward, that we return to where we were, but we're moving forward. Um, but this is a deal. Tim, is so many people didn't come into the pandemic with any, the walls weren't built then. So they didn't have anything. They, I mean, they just weren't prepared at all. So yeah, it just, it just caused so much by shock. Yeah. They, they, we don't have the tools we don't have the tools of resiliency and resiliency is, can be created. And that's why I want to give everyone hope today okay, that okay. when you're talking about rebuilding the walls, it's going to take some building areas of our lives that are different that maybe we haven't focused on before like our physical health mm -hmm. our emotional health our relationships right yeah. um so all of these um are our, our our mindset our mental health of how we think about the world and so there are some really tangible things that can work um even right now to rebuild um and i would say rebuild better okay. to bounce forward to say you know what 
COVID almost took me out, but it, it also made me, it built me. And what's life gonna be like without COVID? We're, I think we're gonna thrive if we can learn what we need to learn now. Okay, so the resiliency that we build now is gonna actually create a strength in us that'll carry us into the future. future. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. So interesting that you talk about like the things, part of the building resiliency um, actually ties into some of these other areas of life that we've been having conversations about as a congregation you know, mental health, physical health. We're going to actually have a conversation in a couple weeks about physical health. I'm bringing in one of my favorite coaches, uh, who happens to be my son, uh, who's, you know, kind of a world-class, you know, athlete and coach. And, and so he's going to come and talk to us about physical health. But, but what we, the metaphor we've been using in this series of conversations has to do with, you know, like God has given us these walls, but they interlock, don't they? They do. You know, the, the walls that actually frame out our lives are not disconnected, so our emotions are not separate from our physical yes. life or our relationships. They're all tied together. They are all tied together, and all of them are spiritual. And and we like so to kind good. of say, well, hey, you know, say, say, repeat that phrase and unpack it for a second. Yes, all of them are spiritual. Your mental, emotional, physical, intellectual, relational, financial—they're all a, a part of the pie. And they're they're and when you said they're all spiritual, yes. what what do you mean by that? Because I know what I what I hear, but what do you mean? They all matter to God. Yes. yes, all will affect. They will all impact your spiritual life, and so we like to compartmentalize, right? Right. It doesn't work that way. They're all integ- integrated, and even if we don't believe it, they are because they affect everything else. Like, for example, your son's going to crush it, and I hope everyone comes because yeah. the physical body is the foundation. If there is no health without physical health. Yeah. And Because if you're in chronic pain, psychologically, it's just going to take you out. It's gonna, it drains you, right? If you don't have good mental health, you're not going to get up off that couch to go on that jog. That's so good. Everything's connected. We got to remember that. So, so I validate build, everyone. So building resiliency, um, all these different areas are tied together. So so it's important that we don't just think, okay, emotion, emotion, emotion. But some of that can be, uh, I don't know if solved is the right word, but we can benefit from increasing in these other areas as well. So what, what else do you think about when it comes to like building resiliency? You know, you had mentioned that like a lot of people just don't even reach out for help. How yeah, important so is it to find others to journey with you uh, on uh, this and not try to do it on your own? Absolutely, Tim. And what we just talked about, those different components, all of those components are part of resiliency. Okay. So we can't just focus on one. So, for example, um, uh, we talked about physical health. Optimizing your health would be one of a foundational parts of building that resilience. If you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping, if you're not um, taking care of your body, you're going to be vulnerable to not only emotional distress, but the attack of the enemy. Number two, you just said about social support. If we do not pursue social support, that is friends, counselors, mentors, um, pastoral care. Um, For me, I have a small group I meet every Saturday night on Zoom some of my women around the U.S., eight of them, and we, That's don't, we, we have no curriculum. We have no agenda. It's a check-in. Yeah. A word, a phrase, and then highs and lows. And I'm going to tell you, we go to church. It's like amazing. But guess what? One day I said, 
I'm very busy in this season. I'm going to need to take this month off of that call. You know what? I underperformed. I was more stressed out. Even though I used that hour for other things, right. it cost me. So we cannot dismiss the importance of friendship, community, mentors, and spiritual advisors in our family. So we got to really... And, and listen, I, and I love the fact that you meet with people even all around the nation. Yeah. It's not necessarily like coming into a room with someone to have that point of connection. It, it might be picking up a phone, picking up a phone and calling, calling a friend that lives, you know, in another state. It could exactly. be, uh, you know, reaching out to someone on Facebook or other means to just connect with another human being that can offer that mutual encouragement. And that's so good. Exactly. Love and, it. Tim, and Tim, you know, it's, it sounds so no brainer, like, Oh, like, duh. But listen, when we're in, in isolation or we're down or we're in grief, it's not our first instinct. So we have to lead ourselves really well. And this is really about leadership, like yeah. self-leadership. I got I to gotta phone that friend, right? I got to get on that Zoom call. I got to design my life. And what I love about resiliency, it's high responsibility, but also high reward. If we start implementing right. these things like physical health, social support, being more aware of our emotions, um, staying calm, not getting overwhelmed by the news, we will actually build those walls back. Ah, uh, yeah, and that is a lot of personal responsibility. So thank you for that. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Sorry, so, guys. so be, before we jump off, is there like any one last thing that you would just say, hey, here's something that would be a great takeaway or something I'd really want to underscore or highlight for, for the church? Well, a couple things. One is I just want everyone to normalize these are unusual times and they are difficult. But this does not have to be your story. This season can be for you, not to you. And we're letting it happen, and we're letting the news happen, and we're letting all these things happen. But I want to challenge everyone here to make your life, to lead yourself, whether that's planning moments of joy into every day, phoning that friend, um, expressing gratitude, because there are things to be thankful for. There really are. Um, and I would say uh, invite Jesus into everything. Invite him into your grief, into your frustration. But at the end of the day, do one thing different. If you aren't moving, move for five minutes a day. If you're not eating well, eat that one apple a day. If you haven't talked to anybody in a week, call one friend a week. Just move the needle and watch things begin. That's so great. Yes. Don't get overwhelmed. One thing different. And if you think, Angie, Pastor Tim, I can't control if anything. Let me tell you, make your bed. That's it. Make your bed. I can't tell you how many people I've had. To, they're like, oh, okay. Because everyone's lives kind of look a little messy right now. So just make your bed. Do one thing different and watch God be faithful to help you on that next thing. That's so tremendous. Angie, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm so thankful that you're leading at Life Pacific University because uh, I know that everything you touch is going to be better. Thank and, you. Uh, have the, the fruit of the of the Lord and the Holy Spirit on it. So thank you. And uh, hey, when COVID's over, we'd love to have you come and speak on this for a whole uh, morning with us. So would you I do am that? so in. I am 100% in. I can't wait to see the family in Santa Maria and to connect with all of you one-on-one. -on -one. So my joy, Tim, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Love you, Angie. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, man. 
Well, listen, you, you learned at least two things there. Um, Angie is really good and really smart. And you also learned that your pastor is really bad at math, right? You guys, I know Richard Crane's back there going, oh, bro. Yeah, yeah, your, your math was off there. But listen, yeah, you can go rewatch it uh, in, in here. Uh, but, you know, actually, I'm so glad that we recorded that. Because you can go back. And if you're watching online, you can just like rewind it right now and listen again. But those are all recorded. You can go right over onto our YouTube channel. Listen uh, to that back. It's almost like getting free counseling because that really is what it is. Uh, you're right. It's like sitting there and listening and saying, wow, there, these are some issues that I probably need to really attend to. I loved a couple of things she said that I just want to highlight. I really picked up in there, that especially towards the end, that you are not defined by this season. We were just talking about that. Hell always wants to say, you are defined by your weakest moments. And that is absolutely a lie. You are not. We get to rebuild, and we get to rebuild according to who, like what we said, what God has done and who he says we are. You are righteous you are empowered, you are a person of kingdom authority, and guess what? You are loved. You are loved. God cares about your emotions, and they're spiritual, right? Every area of life, and you remind us, is spiritual because they matter to God. Each area of our life matters to God. So your emotions matter and they're spiritual. So whether it's making your bed or taking a walk or just doing that one thing, like Angie reminded us, to take that one positive step to begin to rebuild. Take that one stone and start to put it back on top of the others to rebuild that wall. Isn't God good? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, that on this Valentine's Day, Lord, we have been able to talk about our hearts. We've been able to talk, Lord, about our emotional well-being and strength. Lord, we know that hell does have an agenda to define us by our weakest moments, to bring confusion and fear. But Lord, you have come, Lord, to destroy the devil's work and to help us to build strength and resiliency into who and what we are. You did not just come to one day get us into heaven. You came to bring heaven to earth and that we would be able to be strong and whole every day that you give us to live on this planet as supernatural beings who've been saved by you. So Jesus, we give you our emotions, we give you our hurts, we give you our past and all those things that we look back at in the rearview mirror with sorrow. Lord, we bring those all to you and say, God, heal my past. But as we look to the future, we also give you our future, all those things that are unknown and uncertain that we don't feel we have control over. Lord, we can turn to you because you are the one Lord, who's in control, and we can take rest in that, in Jesus' name. Hey, if there is anybody here today that says, you know what, I need God's help, but I, I don't think that I actually even have a relationship with him so that I could 
feel confident in turning to him. When, when I said those things about you've been made righteous in Christ because of what he did on the cross, that you've been empowered, that, you know, that you're loved and you're a person of kingdom authority, you go, yeah, that's not my story. Guess what, folks? It can be your story today simply by saying yes to God, saying yes, I receive the forgiveness that you offer because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross. I receive that gift. And if there is anyone today that wants to just say yes to him before you leave today, I'm going to be up here. Um, I'm going to ask a couple of our other leaders to come up here. And before you leave, we'll socially distance, but we'll have a conversation and we want to pray. And if you're online, please reach out to us. You can go right over to our website, sm4.org. You can click on the virtual connection card on our homepage and say, I want to say yes to Jesus. And we're going to give you resource and help, and we will be praying for you every step on your spiritual journey. Church, you're loved. I uh, can't wait uh, for this next uh, message in the series. It's going to be good. Pray you come back next week. Have a great Valentine's Day. You're loved, guys.